Hey everybody, this is AJ, the Media and Creative Director for Lifehouse Church. We are so glad you are checking out our most recent message, and we hope it encourages you, challenges you, and most of all, inspires you to go show the world they are loved and highly valued. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bible, and by if, I, I hope you do, you need to bring your Bible to church, bring, bring one like this. I mean, it doesn't have to be like this, but bring a real one so that way when you have your phone out, you're not tempted to, uh, you know, scroll Facebook. AJ. <laughs> um, you guys, if you'll go ahead and go to Acts chapter 2, um, I'm going to get there in a minute. I'm going to open in a different passage, but Acts chapter 2 is where we will spend most of our time today. And when I say turn to Acts chapter 2, there's one of three reactions in the room. There is either the completely like, ah, it's no different than anything else because you may not know. Uh, then there's the excited reaction because Acts chapter 2 is very important to you. And then there's the reaction that some, some may have uh, of maybe even a little bit of hesitation because um, you've heard Acts chapter 2 stuff and, and you may not like it. Uh, and, and I just want to submit to you today the reason why you don't like it is because you, you haven't heard what it's really all about. And if you don't know anything about it, I hope today you do. My honest-to-goodness prayer this week is I was getting ready to preach this message, and y'all are going to laugh at me, uh, but my prayer was, Lord, please don't let me commit heresy. Let me, <laughs> let me preach the word as you would have it. You would say, that should be my prayer every week. It's not. Most... <laughs> It's really not, because most of the time it's not a problem. It's not, a, it's not something that I'm worried about. But uh, I just want to be true to the scriptures today. And uh, it's Pentecost Sunday, in case you don't know. And um, raise your hand, and, and, if, and I don't want to like make you feel awkward, so don't. Because if you don't know, I'm so happy you're here. But raise your hand if, you, if, you, if you've at least are familiar with the term Pentecost. Is there, so there's several who aren't. And I'm, I'm, those, y'all are the ones I'm really excited about. For the rest of you who, who are familiar, I hope that today that uh, you will find this message is from the word of the Lord, something that uh, encourages you and enlightens your view around Pentecost. This is what John chapter 14, this is Jesus talking. Now you're in Acts 2 and I'm going to get there, but I wanted, I wanted to start in John because to have true context of, of why Pentecost is important, you need to go back to the Gospels to understand how Jesus began introducing uh, the Holy Spirit to his followers. And this is what he says in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now, that word advocate um, is, a, is not a word that we use in our normal daily language depending on what translation of the bible you have it might have uh, another word there it might have a word comforter it might have the word helper Uh, the greek word there is a word called paraclete now i know i'm already pulling out the greek and i'm literally not a verse into my sermon okay i just want to give you fair warning today that we are going to walk through deep waters but we're going to walk together okay if, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to go through the Bible. I'm not going to preach to you today the opinions of man. I'm going to give you what I believe to the best of my ability is the word of the Lord. So, so that's why we're going to be in the Bible a lot today. So, so that word advocate is, in the Greek, it's paraclete. And, and the best way, the best English word that I know for it is not advocate. It's, it's helper. And, and what it really means is for somebody that would come alongside and be a helper, be somebody that assists. And so Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or another helper who will never leave you. It's an interesting phrase that Jesus says that and the reason why he says that is because later on we're actually going to see where Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples, I am going to leave you. He says the advocate or the helper, he will never leave you. Verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit. Now, That word spirit, Um, you know, if you've got a King James Bible, it will say the Holy Ghost, which I've always not really, um, (laughs) I've always been kind of weirded out by that, because when I think of ghosts, I think of, you know, um, not God. (laughs) 
I, uh, and, and, and the reason why uh, the older translation would say ghost and the reason why we interpret it as spirit today is because there's not a good English word for it. In Hebrew, uh, when, the, when the word uh, spirit or the phrase Holy Spirit is used, it is, the, it is the Hebrew word ruach in Greek. And this is, you know, in Acts, or excuse me, in John, it is in Greek originally. It is the Greek word pneuma. Now, how many, are you okay? I, I know, we're, I told you, we're going we're gonna to wade through the deep waters today. It's 1102, I've got 58 minutes, all right, y'all ready? So, um, and that word is, is probably better understood not necessarily better translated, but better understood as a strong wind, a breath, or an exhalation of air. It is, so when you read the phrase Holy Spirit, I want you to think about that as the, the breath of God. Now what did God do in Genesis chapter 2? He breathed the breath of life into humanity, right? Okay. So it's, it's, it's the same connotation here. He says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. It, it, it just makes me uh, want to reiterate to us that, that we should not be frustrated that the government's and the people and the systems of this world do not reflect the values that we hold dear to ourselves as followers of Jesus. And when we get frustrated with those things, all we do is hinder our ability to impact those things and those people. Because you can't expect people who have not known the saving power of Jesus to act as if they have. I could preach that, but I'm, I'm probably not going to. Um, the world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him because it doesn't recognize him. But Jesus says, you know him because he lives with you. Say that phrase, with you. He lives with you now and later will be in you. When you read through the Old Testament, you'll often read these, these phrases that the Spirit came upon you know, the Spirit came upon Saul. The Spirit came upon David. The Spirit came upon Samson. That's a real famous one. The Spirit came upon Gideon. Um, and, and, and the thing about the Spirit coming upon somebody is that eventually the Spirit would no longer be upon that person. As we learned, though, in Romans that, um, and, and I'm fast-forwarding a lot uh, in, in chronology through, through our New Testament discussion, but in Romans 8.11, Paul tells us that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, which is the same Spirit that would have came upon somebody like Samson or somebody like David or somebody like Saul, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives, not with you, but he lives in you. And so Jesus is saying, he is with you now, but later he will be in you. So if we were to skip over to John chapter 16, to go to verse 5, this is what, this is what it says. He said, and this is Jesus talking again. He says, now I am going away to the one who sent me. Remember, Jesus, he, he said earlier that the Spirit will never leave you. And the reason why he, he, he said that earlier was because he's preparing them for the fact that he is going to leave them. Jesus says, I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going, verse 6. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. Now, if you were hanging out with Jesus and if you had spent a few years with Jesus and Jesus all of a sudden one day said, bye you would be sad too right how many of you have ever moved away from a town or a place where you knew people and were very close to people it can be really hard it can be really difficult it can be really sad because you don't want to see them go well the disciples didn't want to see Jesus go and Jesus says you grieve because I'm leaving but verse 7 he says this and it is so um, interesting he says in fact though it is best for you that I go away. Now, <laughs> how counterintuitive must it be to think that you are with Jesus, the incarnate Son of God? You, you see him every day. Like not, not like you feel his presence, but like you look at him. You can talk to him. And I don't mean like pray talk to him. I mean like look at his face, hear his own voice. And Jesus says to his disciples, it is best for you that I go away. 
Because if I don't, the advocate or the spirit, the helper, the one who is with you but later will be in you, it is best for you for me to go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come because if I don't leave, then I can't send him. Pretty cool, right? My goal today is to help the Bible not be an old book but a living, breathing, and active, the living, breathing, and active word of God. So now we skip over to Acts chapter one. Now you are already in Acts two, so you can easily flip to Acts chapter one. And Acts chapter one is written by a man named Luke. Luke was not an original disciple. Uh, Luke was not an original apostle. We don't really know when Luke came into play. We don't know if he was a convert of Paul. We don't know if he was part of the 120 in the upper room, and which we'll read about in a moment. We don't really know, but we do know that Luke gives a very detailed account both in his gospel and in the book of Acts. And this is how it opens. He says to you, he says, in my first book I told you Theophilus. Now, little backstory real fast is that Luke is writing not for just the sake of writing. He is actually writing in, in his gospel and in the book of Acts or the letter of the Acts of the Apostles to a specific person. He would have been a Roman uh, official of some sort, a man named Theophilus, to, to give him an account, a very detailed and accurate descriptive account of the gospel. That's why we pull our Christmas story primarily from the gospel of Luke because Luke references real people and real situations that occurred when Jesus was born so that the Theophilus can have a reference point in his mind of history of when these things actually happen. It's really cool. It's really powerful. And so he says in my first book, Theophilus, I told you about everything that Jesus began. Say that word, began. You would think that he would leave that out, but what, but what Luke is doing is he is setting up the narrative to help us understand that just because physical incarnate Jesus is no longer in the world does not mean that his works have stopped. Y'all better get with it today. I'm going to come out there and clap in your ear and make your ear hurt. Began to do and teach, verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Verse number three, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he actually, or he was actually alive. And if you go to 1 Corinthians, you can actually read the account of Paul. We actually, I said actually too many times there, we, we believe in actuality <laughs> and chronology that 1 Corinthians was the, if not one of the, first books of our New Testament that was written in history. And Paul says that it, in one moment, not over the course of 40 days, but in one moment, Jesus actually appeared to over 500 people. Because if the resurrection cannot be verified, then, then it, it, and if it didn't happen, then this is all pointless, right? So it's super important that the writers of our Bible today made clear that the resurrection was real. So during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. See, I said actually that time, but it was in the Bible, it wasn't me, so it's okay. <laughs> and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Say that phrase, kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised as I told you before. Now what gift did he promise? The Holy Spirit, right? That's the gift. Now, I want to I go on record here and point out to you something that a lot of people miss. The people that Jesus is speaking to, for lack of a better way to put it, are saved. They are Christians. They are followers of Jesus. They believe that Jesus died and resurrected so that they could be forgiven of sin. But Jesus actually says to them, there is something else you need. Y'all are looking at me confused right now. And I'm going to send it to you. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. I'm sending you the gift as I've told you before. Verse 5, John baptized with water. Now we had an incredible baptism service 
just the other, just last week right here. Wasn't that awesome? And, and, and you know, what happens in baptism? Uh, it's, we, we call it baptism by immersion, which means we don't sprinkle, we don't, we don't do, we, we, we dunk, you know. We, you go down, like you get completely wet, right? Sometimes the speaker out there even gets completely wet. And you wonder, oh, we're going to have to buy a new speaker now because Brandon whoom, went down so fast. <laughs> I don't see him right now, but I sure do love that boy. Where's he at? Oh, there he is. There he is, my boy. John baptized with water, but, just, but in just a few days, you will be, what's that word? Baptized. baptized immersed. Dunked. You have to say it like, like that. I don't know what that is, but you have to say it like that. Dunked. Come on, say it. What are you doing? I want you to look at me. Dunked. And the Holy Spirit, or with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him. Now, this is so funny to me. Because in verse 3, Jesus says, or the Bible says that he was talking to them about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Israel. But in verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Lowercase k. I could preach another sermon right here about how too often well-meaning people are obsessed with building the kingdom of man but not the kingdom of God. We won't do that today, though. Maybe next week. Probably not, but maybe. Verse 7, I just imagine Jesus going, (sighs) Luke makes it a little more nice. He says, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. In other words, can you stop worrying about things that don't matter? How many people today that love Jesus, but they're so obsessed with things, you don't say it right. (laughs) They're so obsessed with systems created by humans that even at their best are still and will always remain imperfect rather than the kingdom of God. And it's so easy to get so focused on those temporary establishments that we forget about the eternal kingdom of God. Man, I could camp out there, but I won't. In verse 8, though, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, when the breath of God, when the force of the Father comes upon you to be my witnesses. That word witness, man, that's that's a hard word. I remember one of the first youth group messages I heard was about how the word witness in Acts chapter 2 actually meant martyr. Which for many of the people that Jesus was speaking to, in that moment, it was very true. And I would submit to you this idea that you may not, hopefully you don't, you may not ever die for your faith, but in order to truly be a witness, you do have to die to yourself. He says, you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria. Remember, they didn't like the Samaritans, but Jesus said, you're going to go to those people too. And to the ends of the earth, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I just, I have this title today for the sermon. Um, I don't know if it's a good title, but it's the title you got. Pentecost is for people. (laughs) Pentecost is for people. Pentecost is for people. I want to talk to you today about the purpose of Pentecost. And ultimately the purpose of Pentecost is to be empowered by God to reach people for God. Plain and simple. Anything else is an overcomplication. Wow. Overcomplication. I'm trying to put an F in there for some reason. (laughs) 
The purpose of Pentecost is to be empowered by God to reach people for God. Now, Pentecost, and and I'm going to unpack this in a little bit, uh, a lot more, but Pentecost in the biblical sense is about harvest. I want to emphasize to you, and this is, this is going to, some of you are, are going to be mad at me today because I didn't say the things you wanted me to say, and some of you might be mad at me today because I said things that you don't want me to say. And, and, and I've just made up my mind that I don't care. I mean, I really do, but I don't, but I do. And here's the deal. Pentecost, I'm going to say this, and some of y'all are going to like it, some of you won't. Pentecost is not about tongues. It's so quiet. <laughs> A lot of you think it is because that's the way it's been introduced to you all your life. And so when you hear the phrase of the word Pentecost, you automatically think tongues. And I want to submit to you what has happened is we have made tongues an idol and forgotten that the true purpose of Pentecost is to reach a lost and dying world with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Pentecost isn't about prophecy. Pentecost isn't about acting crazy. Pentecost isn't about wearing long dresses and long sleeves and having long hair and wearing no makeup. I know it sounds funny, but, but you know it's true. If you've been in the church culture for, you know, a few years of your life, you know that when we use the phrase Pentecost, we often mean things about uh, people that have to do with this world i got to look a certain way. I'm, this is long dress. This isn't me just having a weird twitch. <laughs> i got to have my hair certainly. And if you're a guy, you you got your you got to have it shorter, right? And I'm not trying to make fun. I'm not trying to make light. I hope you understand and hear my heart there. I'm not trying to pick on that. I'm just saying that that's not what Pentecost is. If you want to have long dresses and long hair, that is your business. That's fine. But don't tell me that that's what being a Pentecostal is. Don't tell me that being Pentecostal means you have to act eccentric or crazy or strange and make people around you wonder what's wrong with you. (laughs) And if you want to do that, that's fine. But don't blame it on Pentecost. Blame it on yourself. I told you, I came here today just to make everybody mad equally. If you're not mad yet, hold on, you will be. I got 41 more minutes. Pentecost is for people. Pentecost is for you to be filled with the Spirit because guess what? God loves people. And He wants to empower beyond your wildest imaginations you and me and every one of us to reach people for Him. And if Pentecost is presented in any other way, so, so what has often happened is when we use the phrase Pentecost, and, and once again, I'm not trying to pick on certain denominations or certain peoples or anything like that. I'm just saying that oftentimes Pentecost has been presented as an elite club that you have to earn your way to be part of. And can I just tell you that anybody, oh, help me, Jesus, that's ever spent any actual time in this word and not just listen to the ramblings of some preacher who didn't read it himself will know better than that because Pentecost is about people. Y'all ready? To, I, that was my intro. Y'all ready now? 49 minutes. Or wait, no, 39 minutes. I can't do math. I can read, but I can't do math in my head. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, I told you earlier we're going to go into some deep water today, and what I plan to do is to take a verse-by-verse journey through a a, a large portion of Acts chapter 2. Everything we read before was really trying to set us up for Acts chapter 2. So once again, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And what I love about this is, number one, we see that the disciples are actually doing what Jesus said. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise that I have given you. So they are together and they are waiting. And it just so happens to be the day of Pentecost. Uh, If you were one of the original disciples uh, who were told by Jesus to go and wait, you did not know that you were waiting for the day of Pentecost. You just knew that you were 
were waiting. You had no idea how long it would be. You didn't know. You didn't even know what you were waiting for. You just knew that Jesus said, go to that city and go together and wait. Now, now I love that because oftentimes God gives us directives, but we just want the details. And God says, if you would just listen and do what I said, you would get what I promised. So on the day of Pentecost, they are together in one place. So what is the day of Pentecost? Now for most of us in the church, we equate Pentecost to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 alone. But the truth is the, the day of Pentecost, as they understood it in Acts chapter 2, had it actually existed for around a thousand years already. So, so Pentecost, it, if you were to read it in the book of Leviticus, you would find out that Pentecost is actually the festival of weeks. W-E-E-K-S, weeks, and specifically seven weeks. Now, I just want to, let me paint the picture for you here. Passover in, in Exodus is when the, the people of Israel were passed over as the angel of death surrounded Egypt and they had taken the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and as the as the death angel saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost he passed over the people of Israel and they were saved they received salvation now in the new testament i got to get on this side cuz this is the this is the AJ's over here did he do a great job last week in the new testament jesus is crucified on the weekend of passover right as the blood of the lamb was shed and slain so that all who would look upon him or believe upon that precious blood, that precious man who gave up his life, would be saved and death would have no reign over anybody who believed in him. Now, remember, the angel of death in Exodus, the Pharaoh comes to the people of Israel. He says to Moses, get out of here. Get out. I'm done with you, right? And so they begin marching out. They cross the Red Sea and they get into the wilderness and some time passes. Now, in the New Testament, we have Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. Jesus uh, 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 resurrects from the dead and he spends 40 days. Say that word, 40. He spends 40 days uh, spending time with his followers and showing people that he is actually alive. And then he says to them before he departs into heaven, before he ascends into heaven, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father that I told you I was going to send you. And so, so, so what you do is, is, you, is you take the time that, that, that passed in, in Passover, uh, it was actually 50 days, and then you take the time that passed in, in, in on Easter. So you had the 40 days that Jesus was alive. Are you guys okay? I'm throwing out a lot of stuff right now. Okay, you have the 40 days that passed, and then Jesus said, go and wait. So they waited about 10 more days, and then it was the day of Pentecost. It was a feast. If, they, if you were part of the Jewish culture, or if anybody is even part of the Jewish culture today, you know that the Jews... The Jews celebrate seven feasts, but there are three major feasts. And the reason why they are three major feasts is because they are feasts. <laughs> That's hard to say like that, right? They are festivals <laughs> of pilgrimage, which means you leave wherever you are and you go to Jerusalem to celebrate it. So, so, so you have Passover, you have tabernacles, as well as Pentecost. Now, how do we get Pentecost from the Feast of Weeks? Well, Pentecost is not a Hebrew word, it's a Greek word, and it means 50. That's all it means. It literally means 50. Nothing more, nothing less, because it was 50 days after Passover, or seven weeks after Passover. And the original purpose of celebrating Pentecost or the festival of weeks in the Old Testament was to celebrate the, the harvest of barley, literally. It was, to, it was to celebrate harvest. And that's why Pentecost is about people, because Pentecost is about harvest. Jesus said, the fields are white and ready for harvest, but the laborers are few. And so he gave us his spirit to live in us so that we would be prepared and equipped and ready to receive the harvest. 
So we pick up in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 2. Suddenly, say suddenly, which is funny to me. I, could, I literally am going to preach on one word for just a moment. Because there was nothing sudden about this. It felt sudden to them in that moment, but this is something that God had promised hundreds of years ago. And in Jesus and through Jesus, it is coming to fruition in this moment. It felt sudden, but God, for God it wasn't sudden. For God it was just the next step of this process that he knew was coming all along. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Verse 4, I, don't re- I want to remind you that these men and women in this upper room are already Christians. I want to remind you that they have already, for the way we would say it, they have already received Jesus as Lord and Savior of their hearts. Verse 4, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit came upon them like in the days of the Old Testament. But they were filled from the inside out with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, I read from the New Living Translation because um, I, I appreciate the way it communicates the truth of the Word of God in, in language and in words that I can easily understand. Um, but every so often I find that it does not accurately, to my uh, thought, accurately interpret certain words. Now, there, there's a couple of words, or there's, there's one word in this specific verse that I don't like how it interprets. It's that very last word of the sentence, ability. Uh, if you were reading like the ESV or even the KJV, it would use the word utterance. Utterance, which is a better word uh, because it, it is an ability, but it's not an ability I can control, if that makes any sense at all. And so the, the Greek word, you guys happy for the Greek word? Blame, blame the board of LifeHouse that, that allowed me to purchase Logos uh, for my computer that is basically the most amazing thing ever for any preacher in the world ever. It means, it, the Greek word is, I'm going I'm to butcher this, and, and, and that's okay, because you can't say it any better. Uh, apothengomai. Apothengomai. It means inspired speech. They begin speaking in other languages. Some, some interpretations would say tongues, but it, it actually just means languages. As the Spirit gave them this Ability to speak under inspiration. Verse 5. At that time, now what time is it? It's Pentecost, right? At that time, there were devout Jews. I have a question for you. Why were these specifically called devout Jews? Why do you think, Holly? <laughs> I wish you could have seen her face right then. They were called devout Jews. And it, it, let me read the rest of it because it'll make more sense. Uh, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. The reason why they were called devout Jews is because they were so devout that they actually made the pilgrimage from wherever they lived to come to Jerusalem for the, fest, or the Feast of Weeks. That's why they were specifically known as devout Jews, right? For you to leave your home you know, before there's automobiles, before there's trains or planes or anything like that, for you to make a pilgrimage from these different lands that we will read about in a moment, to go to Jerusalem to honor the, the Feast of Weeks, the, uh, the, you would be known as a devout Jew. They were there for Pentecost. They were there for the Feast of Weeks. In verse 6, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered. I really, we got to start using that word more. That's such a good word, bewildered. Yeah, I love that word. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now, how many of you um, are, are, are multilingual? Anybody? Raise it high. Come on, raise it high. <laughs> Olivia, eh. Tongues doesn't count. I'm just kidding. 
Okay, I'm not. You know, the joke is, you know, what do you call somebody that can speak three languages? Say it loud. I would call them trilingual, but that works too. I don't know what that means. I guess it means multiple three languages. What do you call somebody that can speak two languages? What do you call somebody that can speak one? American. American. <laughs> Who said it? Was it you? Gilbert? Yeah, American. Yeah. How many of you have ever been to a foreign country where uh, English or your native language was not their native language? Yeah, me too. I, I've, been to, I've been to several. And I remember specifically, I was in college, and, and, and we took a trip to uh, uh, Thailand and then to Cambodia, and I was in Bangkok, Thailand, walking down the road with one of my friends from school. And, you know, you hear, you hear the language around you, but it sounds like noise, right? And you hear people talking, but, like, it, they might as well just be in, you know, they're just blabbering as far as you know. But then if somebody through the, through the sound of that noise were to speak in your language, and which happened to me, I'm walking down the street in Thailand, which I really don't recommend, but um, walking down the street in Bangkok, Thailand with my buddy Adam, and all of a sudden you hear somebody speaking from a good distance away in English because they saw us, and we were obviously not from around there, and... <laughs> And they began speaking in English, and then we had a great conversation with them. And it was really cool because it, it was so interesting to me, as I look back on it, how even though it was so loud, I was on a street, and it was a bunch of chatter, I could hear the sound that I recognized above all the other sounds that I didn't recognize. And so, so they heard the loud noise. Ever came, everybody came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages spoken by the believers. Now, more than likely, the people who were journeying to Jerusalem could speak Aramaic and or Greek. Otherwise, they would have had a really difficult time in the area. But, but they were coming from other places like, like Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Pontus, different places of Asia. And, and even though they could speak Aramaic or even though they could speak Greek, they heard the languages from their hometowns and it stood out to them. And this is what it says in verse 7. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. That would literally be like going to Oliver Springs. I'm, not I'm just saying it's a small town. It's a small place. It would be like going to Oliver Springs and finding a group of 120 people who could speak most of the known languages of the world around in that moment. Not because they studied them, but because the Holy Spirit inspired it in them. In verse 8, yet we hear them speak in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Ferga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Now I want to stop right there. How many of you know that there's a book in your Bible called Paul's Letter to the Romans? Do you know where the Roman church originated? Acts chapter 2. We literally have the most elegant document the Western world has ever seen, the letter to the Romans, because there were Jews from Rome visiting Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that were exposed to the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ who took the message of Jesus back to their communities in Rome and they began spreading the good news of Jesus, so much so that when the apostle Paul, 40 years later, was wanting to make a journey to Spain, he needed the support of the church in Rome and so he wrote them a letter that today is literally the most impressive document that we have ever known in the western world yeah. visitors from Rome both Jews and converts to Judaism Cretans Arabs how many of you know that God loves all people? Does it matter what country they come from? Does it matter what color their skin is? Does it matter what language they speak? Does it matter what gender they are? God loves people. He says, and we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Verse 12, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can, they, what can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. 
I done lost my voice. I got so excited. It's a good thing we're not doing two services right now. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't like what we don't understand. We don't, and we often criticize what we don't understand. They were amazed at this thing that was happening. Some were confused, and some called them crazy. I would submit to you that not much has changed in 2,000 years when it comes to the power of Pentecost and the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of men and women of God. Here we are, 2,000 years later, still splitting hairs over tongues, still worried about, is this proper? Is this right? Is this of God? Is it for me? When the power and the purpose of Pentecost is not about great theological discussions, it's about reaching people for the, for the glory of God. Verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. And he shouted to the crowd. Now that word shouted, once again, is the same word that we read earlier in Acts 2-3 that um, they began speaking as the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance. It's the same word, inspired speech. And he said, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. Dot, 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 because I don't want to go into that. And then Luke, who writes this uh, account, he, he details part of Peter's message. And it's a great message. You should go read it. Um, but here's the thing. You need to know that it was actually, actually an abridged version of this message. It actually even says in verse 40, you should go read it, that Peter preached for a long time. So you guys are good today, right? Peter preached for a long time. So we go from verse 14 to now verse 41. After Peter preached for a long time. He preached a message where he didn't offer an altar call. The people made the altar call. They looked at Peter and they said, what can we do to be saved? He didn't say, you know, bow your heads and close your eyes, and if you want to make a commitment for the Lord Jesus today, raise your hand. Nobody's going to call you out. Nobody's going to embarrass you. That's how we have to do it today, because everybody's so worried about what other people think about them. Now, they went to Peter, and they said, listen, what you just said pierced my heart, and I need to do something in my life. Something needs to change. Verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. 3,000 people in all. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty good day for the church, right? Starts with 120 people in an upper room. In the very first day of the existence of the church, Pentecost is often regarded as the birthday of the church. 3,000 more people are added to the kingdom And if you go on, let me just, I don't have this one in my notes, but I love verse 47. It says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Remember, in the Old Testament, with the original day of Pentecost, it occurred 50 days after Passover. Now, what is really interesting to me when you go back and you, and you do a deep dive into that is that something very specific happened 50 days after Passover. Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the law from God on tablets of stone. We call them the the Ten Commandments. 
There was a lot of wind and fire and noise that day. Go read it. The mountain was just covered in smoke, right? Something pretty sad happened that day too, though. Moses had been up on the mountain for 40 days. He didn't eat or drink anything. He just was nourished by the unfiltered presence of God. But everybody else didn't have that luxury. And so, in Moses' absence, the people get restless. And they decide that it might be a good idea to build a God that they can worship. Because the God that had gotten them that far might not be able to get them any farther. And we criticize that. But good gracious, how many of us get an unexpected bill in the mail or a phone call from some situation and we go the same route? We may not build an idol out of gold, but we'll build one out of a TV or out of a computer or out of something else. So Moses comes off the mountain. He sees what's happening. He throws down the tablets of stone. They break. And eventually 3,000 people die that day because they had committed the sin of idolatry. In the New Testament, we're 50 days removed from the resurrection. Jesus is absent. As we just read in Acts chapter 2, it's a, it's a day marked by wind and fire and noise. The sound of a mighty wind filled the room and, and tongues as of fire. It doesn't say the tongues were made of fire. We don't really know, I mean... There's no way to accurately describe what that was like. I mean, you're seeing something you've never seen before, right? In that moment, Luke does his best to describe it as it was told to him. In fact, he may have been one of the 120 in the upper room. We don't really know for sure. Three thousand people are saved that day. And instead of writing the law on tablets of stone, God fulfills a 600-year-old prophecy written by a guy named Jeremiah. And this is what he said in Jeremiah 31, 33. He says, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 600 years before the day of Pentecost that occurred after the resurrection of Jesus, looks to the future and knows that a new covenant is coming. He says, and when that new covenant comes, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, the way the old covenant worked was here is this list of stuff that you have to keep and you have to do. It's extraordinarily detailed. And the goal of the Old Covenant was to work from the outside in to become a person that God is pleased with. Make sure you wash your hands correctly and properly. Make sure you you wear these certain clothes. I mean, most of us today in this room right now would be automatically disqualified because our shirts or something that we're wearing is a mixture of two different fabrics. That's how specific the law of God was. Now, I could dive into that, but that's not the purpose of today, and I've only got 14 minutes left. And and the goal through the keeping of the law was that from the outside in, you would make yourself the kind of person that God could accept. It's not that God ever wanted it that way. I think part of the reason it was that way for as long as it was was to help us understand the the price of of, of righteousness. And in Jesus, though, what God does is he says, I don't want to change you from the outside in. I want to change you from the inside out. And as you are filled with the Spirit of God, I will write my law not on tablets of stone but on the human heart itself. 
And instead of 3,000 people dying that day, 3,000 people are saved that day. More specifically, 3,000 people are saved that day because the power of the Holy Spirit inspired a person to tell others about Jesus. Don and whoever you got, come on. I could have done that more elegantly, but why start being elegant now? I want you to know today that receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, number one, is not about tongues. It is about Jesus. And number two, I want you to understand, and this is difficult because this is, this is controversial, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as being saved. You're not any more or less saved whether you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, though. You need to know that. I became a Christian in a church where speaking in tongues, while it was not expressly stated, it was kind of what you needed to be able to do to show people that you were really a Christian. Does that make sense? Now these people had good intentions. Their hearts were good, but they were living under a church culture that needed some serious change. Can you turn that down just a little bit right there for me? I'm going to start yelling. And so I got to the point where every Sunday morning there'd be an altar call for like whatever. I mean like their altar, I was 15 and the altar call could have been like if you and your spouse are thinking of getting divorced come to the altar right now and I'd go up there. <laughs> I, I just went to the altar for anything. And part of it was I, I was just very zealous for the Lord and part of Julie's coming to the altar right now. It was over here. You went the wrong way. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to her about that later. But I'd go to the altar every Sunday morning for whatever the altar call was. Partly because of my just, you know, zeal for the Lord. But partly because I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to you very plainly right now was because I wanted to speak in tongues because I was under the impression that until I spoke in tongues, I wasn't, like, I wasn't really a Christian. So like, Sunday, we had Sunday night service. Thank God we don't have Sunday night services. And some of you are like, I wish we had Sunday night services. Well, fine, then you organize them and lead them and preach them and do all the other stuff and then you can enjoy that. We have, we have life groups. Praise the Lord for groups. So we had Sunday night service, so... Sunday night service. You're struggling with heroin addiction. Come to the altar now. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what heroin looks like, but I would go. That didn't really happen, but it could have, and I would have still went. And I would pray, God, help me, let me speak in tongues. We had Wednesday night youth group. Guess what? I'd respond to an altar call. I wanted to speak in tongues. We had revival services, which is really just a, a name for, you know, having service Sunday night through Wednesday night. I'd go to the altar every night. And this went on for several months. And honestly, if, I, if I'm being, like, genuine with you, like, it was very discouraging. <laughs> and I'd be in the altar... And I'm not trying to make fun of this because everyone who's involved with this had the best of intentions. And I, I throw, I have, there's no ought against anybody here. But I'd be in the altar and everybody knew. It was, you know, church, a quarter of the size of our church, even right now. I'd be in the altar and somebody would come up beside me. And they'd, they'd lay hands on me. And they'd start praying in the spirit of my ear. And then they would get louder <laughs> to the point where it actually caused me pain and you know, they'd, they'd pray for me 
in front of me, and they'd be, you know, to the point where I could barely stand up because they were pushing so hard. And, and it even got to the point where, once again, with the best of intentions, people would try to coach me. They'd say, just let the, you know, let the Lord have your mouth. And then they would say, they would actually tell me, you know, just, 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 you know, try to say these phrases like sibota, tabota. You know, catch that? I know it's humorous to an extent. But so much of what I wanted from God and what I felt like I needed to be approved by, not God necessarily, but by people, was tied up in tongues. Now, I believe in tongues. I, I pray in the Spirit. I believe there is speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance so that people who don't speak your language can understand you. I've heard stories of missionaries who, who God has, uh, who is empowered in those moments with gifts beyond anything I can comprehend to be able to communicate to people that they don't speak the same language as. I believe with my whole heart there is there is speaking out in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance so that somebody else can receive an interpretation from the Lord. Not a translation, but an interpretation which is very similar to the, to the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now, if these things seem weird to you, I just want to remind you that we believe that a man died and then rose from the dead so that we could go to heaven. So don't, don't get caught up in what seems weird. If you're going to be honest about it, it's all pretty, pretty weird, okay? I believe wholeheartedly in that. I believe wholeheartedly and practice every day praying in the Spirit, which I believe is, uh, is different from speaking in tongues with interpretation where something bubbles up inside of me and it just it's like if I open my mouth, the Spirit of God just pours out. And in those moments, Paul says, you know, when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit makes intercession through us. Now, if you don't do that, you don't understand it. And the only way I can tell you that you can understand it is if, if you receive that. But so much of my pursuit of God for those first several months of my salvation was tied up in tongues because I wanted to show everybody I really was saved. I really was a Christian. I really did love Jesus. And as well as I remember the night that I got saved, even more so do I remember the night the Lord filled me overflowing with His Spirit. I wasn't at church. I was in my bedroom at my house. I had just left church on a Sunday night. And I was so mad. I was so discouraged because once again, for 30 minutes, I was in the altar with everybody in the church around me. Come on, come on, brother, just let it happen. Let, give the Lord your mouth. I don't know what that means, but give it to him. I want to give him all of me, not just my mouth, right? Now, I may not be 100% be theologically accurate, but I'm being 100% real with you. I was in my bedroom and I was mad. I got down at the end of my bed, kneeled on the floor, and just started crying. Now, in retrospect, I know better. But when you're brand new to the things of God and you want everything the Lord has for you and you feel like you're just messing it up, I started repenting of sins that I hadn't even committed yet that I thought I might commit one day. I started, I mean, I asked God to forgive me of everything I could think of because this is what I was told. Once again, I throw no criticism. It was all with the best of intentions. However, it was horribly misguided. What I was told is that there must be sin in my life. And so God can't give me all of himself. You know, God can't bless me with that. Which isn't true, just for the record. I just want to put that out there. My kids aren't perfect, but I still give them gifts all the time. That's, yeah. And so I repented. I asked God to forgive me. I even tried doing the, I even tried, 
I'm so embarrassed. I even tried saying some of the things that people had told me maybe I should try to say, and then all of a sudden tongues would just happen. Some of y'all are looking at me like, my God, he was so messed up. I was 15, I didn't know. Some of y'all are 55 and you still don't know either, and that's okay. I probably did that for an hour, maybe even two hours. I'm so mad. I'm so discouraged. And finally, frustration. And man, I remember this so well. I just said, Lord, I don't care if I ever speak in tongues. I don't care if I ever display any gifts of the Spirit. I just want you and I want to have whatever you have for me. Probably 21 years later, still one of the most sincere prayers I ever prayed. I can't believe I'm old enough to say anything happened in my life 21 years ago, but <laughs> whatever. It goes fast, Sierra. And it was like in that moment, you probably saw this coming, but it's, it's how it happened. I'm not making it up. It was like something just overwhelmed me. like even though I was 100% a Christian 100% saved 100% going to heaven 100% love Jesus it was like in that moment something that I had never experienced before just began to just overwhelm every physical sense, emotional sense, mental sense. And it was almost as if I couldn't control what happened next. I say almost because I'm sure I could have stopped it, but I didn't want to. It felt like that God had invaded my physical body. And the only place he could come out of was my mouth. I know that sounds really weird, but if you've ever experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't experienced it, you're no less a Christian than anybody who has. I just want to put that out there. I don't want you to ever think that. I don't know why God uses tongues the way he does. But I have been on this platform and many of you have witnessed it as the Holy Spirit begins to move in our services. I have to shut my mic off because I just can't speak English. As the Spirit of God begins to, to pray through me. I don't understand it. I mean, if God wanted to use and to express himself through me by shooting rainbows out of my eyeballs, he could have done that. I'm just trying to help you understand, tongues itself is not the point. Don't make an idol out of it, but don't disregard it either. Pentecost... Pentecost is not about tongues, it's about people. And I believe it's also about being so full of the Spirit of God 
that it overflows. To be baptized in something means to be completely drenched in it. To be completely immersed in it. And in that moment in Acts chapter 2, you had these people who I mean, honestly, every time Peter talked, for the most part, he was an idiot. But after being filled with the Spirit, things come out of his mouth. He begins quoting the prophet Joel. I don't think Peter knew much about the Torah and the Old Testament prophets and scriptures. I'm sure he was exposed to it as a young man. But I have noticed something about following Jesus that that there are things in me that I don't know that they're there. That in moments when the Spirit begins to move in my life and my heart, they they just come out. So this is my altar call for you today. Take it for what it is. If you want to be filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, not if you want to speak in tongues, not to prophesy. Now listen, the Lord, you need to be open to that. But if you want to be filled, listen, if you want to be refilled, I, there's, you, you never, you, you, you don't get full and then you're done. <laughs> Listen, I got to get refilled pretty much every day. Sometimes a few times a day, depending on how the day's going. But if, you, if your prayer today would be, Lord, I want to receive the power of Pentecost. Because Pentecost is for people. Pentecost is about the harvest. Pentecost is about being so full of God everywhere you go, all you, you, you just radiate the goodness of God. It's about being a witness, right? And what does a witness do? A witness gives up their life for the gospel. That doesn't mean that just you may die a physical death. That also means that you die to your preferences, that you die to your desires, that you die to your plans, that you die to your comforts and your opinions so that you can be so filled with the Spirit of God that He comes out of you every time you open your mouth. You're speaking the Spirit of God. Every time, every time you take a step, you are walking in direction with the Spirit of God. Every time you, you, you do an act of service, that, that it, it, it is just the overwhelming sense of the Spirit of God just flows out of you. It's not about tongues. It's about people. It's, and it's about being so full of Him. Now, I've rambled. I've gone five minutes past my time. I know, I know, I'm sorry. Today, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I'm, oh man, and you want to receive all that God has for you, would you come to the altar? That's it. That's all I got.